The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. And what does winning look like to you? Reclaiming the fourth estate. Reclaiming journalism as an honorable profession. A nightly newscast that informs a debate worthy of a great nation. Civility, respect, and a return to what's important. The death of bitchiness, the death of gossip and voyeurism. Speaking truth to stupid. No demographic sweet spot, a place where we all come together. We're coming to a tipping point. I know you know that. There's going to be a huge conversation. Is government an instrument of good, or is it every man for himself? Is there something bigger we want to reach for, or is self-interest our basic resting pulse? You and I have a chance to be among the few people who can frame that debate. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. In the midst of an information war, framing the debate pretty much wins the debate. That may be why Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter has become such an attention-getting event, and speculation about the greater significance of Musk's own potential framing of the debate, through his apparent effort to turn Twitter into a free speech platform again, rather than a vehicle of censorship, is more varied than you might think. But notice in our opener from the newsroom how easy it is to frame a false alternative. Is government an instrument of good, or is it every man for himself? Just think about how loaded that proposition is, and how easily we're influenced in social media and other mainstream media. Those two questions really are not an either-or proposition. In fact, they have nothing to do with each other, unless one's intention is to create a connection for some sinister purpose. Good government is a government that defends and protects each individual's right to life, liberty, and property through the administration of impartial, objective justice. And any government that isn't doing that isn't a government at all. It's a mere state, reduced to an instrument of force separated from the morality of governance, and under which the ruled are separated from their rulers. And what some might frame as every man for himself is really their pejorative way of describing how every man exercises his individual right to life, liberty, and property as an individual, free from the coercion of others acting, quote-unquote, for himself. Consider the alternative. Either it's every man for himself, or it's every man for someone else. And with good government being the instrument of this altruistic initiation of force by some against others, that's the sinister purpose and agenda behind polarizing good government, quote-unquote, against individualism. And that is always what is being proposed by altruists and dictators of every leftist political stripe. So, do you believe that Elon Musk's potential outright ownership of Twitter will reframe the debate in any meaningful way? Our attempt at shedding some light on this possibility will begin right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. 
Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. After last week's broadcast, I received a totally unexpected email from Robert Vaughn who basically hosted most of the show last week, and it went like this. Bob, Just Right doesn't have any media, quote-unquote, platforms. We have video, quote-unquote, channels on other people's platforms. YouTube is a video platform. Rumble is a video platform, etc. A small point, but I just couldn't let it go since you misspoke about it twice on the show. Cheers, Robert. (laughs) So I write back to him. I said, Robert, I disagree. And I actually gave the term some thought before I used it. I never claimed ownership of the platforms, although I suppose you could argue that the portion of the platform which we occupy is ours in the sense that the apartment I rent is mine. I know I don't actually own it. And as you say yourself, they are platforms. That's why I referred to them as such. And then Robert writes back, Gee, I expected you to come back with, I could care less. You missed an opportunity there. (laughs) <laughs> now, of course, this speaks to yet another one of those ongoing and silly arguments that Robert and I get into over what seems to be minutia. And in this case, Robert always insists that I should be saying, I couldn't care less instead of I could care less. Well, I almost did respond to Robert by saying something along the lines of I couldn't care less. But actually, I was being quite serious when I said I gave the term platform some thought before I chose to use it. I wasn't disagreeing with his distinction between platforms and channels as such, since the word channel is an accepted way of referring to platform locations, and I realize that. But it hit me for the first time when I sat down to introduce last week's show to let our listeners know that Robert Vaughn's entire interview with Mark Pellegrino was available on YouTube, Rumble, and BitChute. Unexpectedly, when I got to the point of making that announcement, I found myself kind of uncomfortable with using the term channel, and it was really weird how it bothered me. And here's what's even weirder. It occurred to me that had we only had one video channel, quote-unquote, available on YouTube, I would have undoubtedly told our listeners to check out our YouTube channel without even giving it a second thought. But because we were on at least three video platforms, something about my saying that we were on three, quote-unquote, channels seemed a bit... I don't know, inaccurate or confusing to my understanding of what a channel is. It just didn't feel right. Whereas saying that our shows were available on three platforms seemed more appropriate and descriptive. So why was I so bugged by using the word channel? And I think I finally connected the dots. Given my broadcast history, which actually began with my attending a radio TV broadcast course in college back in the 70s, I've always associated the term channel with various cable and broadcast frequencies, including radio, TV, and even shortwave, that are specifically regulated and controlled and licensed by governments. Using the word channel instead of platform seems to me a way of framing the coming debate over internet content regulation in Canada by the CRTC in the same way it regulates and, you know, quote-unquote, broadcast channels. In fact, I've even seen political references to certain website platforms broadcasting their video and audio programs to the public over the Internet. Well, 
I smell an epistemological setup, one that will make it difficult to argue against internet regulation while simultaneously accepting valid and reasonable policing regulation of the various broadcast frequencies for the purpose of protecting their property rights. The CRTC is described as an independent public authority in charge of regulating and supervising Canadian broadcasting and telecommunications. The CRTC stands for the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission. Well, it struck me as well that a channel, generically speaking, is a means of getting from one place to another, like a pipe filled with water or wire conducting electricity. It's not the destination, nor is it the source of whatever is being channeled. It is the means. And sure enough, I checked out the dictionary definition, which defined channel as a tubular passage, as for liquids, the course through which anything moves or passes, the official or proper routes of communication. In telecommunications, a path for the transmission of telegraph, telephone, or radio communications. A range of frequencies assigned for television transmissions. So you can see the traditional and significant understanding of broadcast channels is that governments regulate, control, and license such channels. People are used to knowing that channels are regulated, although most don't know how or what is being regulated. But given that broadcast frequencies exist in nature, governments are somewhat justified in policing them, but for legitimate protections of property rights and never for censorship. Now, I've noted that recent attempts to further regulate Internet content by the Canadian government and the CRTC are using similar concepts in regard to the internet as they use in regard to channel frequencies that they regulate. And knowing the public as I do, I would guess that the vast majority would see nothing wrong with the government regulating channels. They might even welcome it. But to me, a platform describes an entirely different entity. In the dictionary, they refer to a platform as a floor or flat surface raised above the adjacent level as a stage for public speaking. Well, bingo, that's what a platform is for. It also describes a platform as a formal scheme of principles put forth by a religious, political, or other body. And if you stop to think about it, Just Right Media fits both definitions as a stage for public speaking and as a formal scheme of principles described and illustrated by the content we put on our platform. Now, psychologically speaking, a channel comes across to me as being something temporary and fragile in some way, in contrast to a platform which, you know, it sounds solid and reliable. Now, in practical and casual conversation, I truly couldn't care less what particular word someone uses to describe what they might call their social media channel, their website, their platform, their page, whatever they refer to it. But given the epistemological nature of this show, and knowing the way censor-loving governments manipulate specific words and language to justify the unjustifiable, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that word channel. Now, of course, at the same time, I fully recognize that when it suits their purpose, politicians would have no problem with outrightly saying they have some kind of right to regulate the content on a platform or a website. They don't care. <laughs> So while I recognize that various internet platforms are owned by other interests and investors, calling anyone's account on that platform a channel is a bit like calling your phone number a channel, which in a technical sense, I guess, could be correct. For example, someone's phone number would never be referred to as a Bell channel or as a Rogers channel on the Bell or Rogers phone networks. 
like a phone number, a website address, is not a channel, but the description of an electronic location or destination where there is some kind of actual content or activity available. Remember all the talk about whether or not social media sites like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter were platforms or were they publishers? The distinction was critical because if ruled a publisher, that publisher could be held responsible for the content posted by other people on that site. If ruled a free speech platform, responsibility for any content fell back on the originator of that content and not on the service provider. Which leads us to the media news of the day, Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter. Many people have felt uncomfortable with, or been distrusting of, Elon Musk, and the audio bites I've selected for today's show certainly reflect those differing and changing concerns. And pretty much how people feel about Elon Musk depends a lot on what they know and or what they don't know about him. Some people love Elon Musk, some hate him, and still others are very wary and skeptical. So to kick off that conversation, on this side of our upcoming bumper is the voice of David Nazipzode from his April 14th X22 report on Elon Musk and Twitter, while on the return side of the bumper, a very skeptical view about Elon Musk and Twitter by the Rageaholic on his April 15th rant. Now we can see that Elon Musk, he has made a move to purchase Twitter and he is now saying that he would like to buy Twitter. Now, he made an offer of $54.20. And we can see that the leftists on Twitter, they're having a panic attack. And they're very worried because their censorship bubble is being threatened. Pepe's Lives Matter put this out on Telegram. He offered to buy at $54.20 a share, adding $4.20. He made a wee joke. The trolling is real. And I'm amused. Tom Fitton put this out on Twitter. Elon Musk has much to fix. Documents show California state officials coordinated with big tech to censor Americans' election posts. Now think about this. Twitter takes orders from government employees. The government is telling Twitter who to censor, which is a complete violation of everyone's rights. What happens when Elon Musk takes over Twitter or if they don't accept the offer, it implodes. But let's say they do accept the offer. What happens to the deep state? They don't have their hotline into Twitter anymore. That disappears, which means they don't have control of what people are saying. You see, Twitter wasn't just doing it on their own. Yes, there are individuals that are censoring people, but when the government picks up the hotline, and we know there is a hotline, it's in court documents, it shows they're actually calling Twitter and saying, yeah, we don't like what this person's saying. We don't care if it's true or not, we just don't like it. Bring them down. That is a violation of our rights. Now, what's very interesting about this is that Alawid in Saudi Arabia decided that his offer, Elon Musk's $54.20, is not high enough and they are rejecting the offer. Now, what's very interesting is that Elon Musk responded to this and he said, interesting, just two questions, if I may. How much of Twitter does the kingdom own directly and indirectly? What are the kingdom's views on journalistic freedom of speech? Ooh, basically just trapped him in that one. Now, Election Wizard put this out and this is 
Elon Musk, he's saying, my offer is my best and final offer, and if it is not accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder, which means most likely he's gonna sell his shares. Now, Q Time on Telegram put this out. This is from Derek Hunter, and it says the following. If at Twitter rejects Elon Musk's offer, Paraga has to resign, as will most of the board. They will have acted directly against the financial interest of shareholders, violating their fiduciary duty. Now, that's very interesting. It seems that Elon and the Patriots have set a trap, and it seems we're going to have to watch to see how this plays out because if they decide not to sell, and actually it's not really up to the board, it's actually up to the shareholders, and I do believe that Elon Musk, he put out another poll and actually asked people the following question. Taking Twitter private at $54.20 should be up to shareholders, not the board. Well, so far, 251,000 people voted and 85% say absolutely yes. Now, we know this number is going to go way up, much, 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 much higher. And we know that the percentage is probably going to stay around that percentage. So what happens if the board doesn't take the offer of Elon? Will he dump his stock? Most likely, yes. Will it bring down Twitter? Most likely, yes. Now, the other thing that's very interesting, and the library put this out, and this is linked to Zero Hedge. It says, well, this is awkward. Twitter board hired Goldman to advise it that the Elon Musk $54.20 offer is too low. Only problem is that Goldman has a sell rating with a $30 price target. So Goldman put a sell marker on $30 a share. Elon is offering $24.20 higher than that for each share. At this point, they most likely have to sell. If they don't, the shares are going to take a dive, aren't they? Now, it seems that Elon, the Patriots, they have given them an ultimatum. And no matter which way they go, it's not going to turn out well for them. Remember, Trump would like to take the bullhorn and he wants it. He's going to take the bullhorn away from the deep state players. He already started with True Social. He's already been pushing fake news for the the corporate media. And now we see Elon take uh, tackling Twitter. And I do believe that one way or another, Twitter might go down or they might be taken over. But no matter which way this turns out, I do believe Trump and the Patriots, they're going to have the upper hand. Now think about what Elon has been talking about. He's been talking about free speech. He's been talking about having a town square. Just take a listen to what he said. And a good sign as to whether there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like. And if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning uh, free speech situation. My, my strong intuitive sense is that uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. But you've, you've described um, I, yourself. I, I don't care about the economics at all. You've, okay, that's, that's cool to hear. So it seems that he's prepared and ready to take Twitter, make sure that there is free speech. And remember, when our founding fathers talked about free speech, they didn't talk about hate speech. They didn't talk about people's feelings being hurt. 
They didn't talk about anything like that. They just said, you have the right to speak freely. Now, if you say something like kill someone or there's a fire in a building and people run out and people get hurt, yes, that's a crime. But people can voice their opinions. People can argue against something and show facts. See, that is free speech. What Twitter is doing, what YouTube is doing, what Facebook is doing is they're shutting down accounts because they're countering their narrative. They don't like people showing the facts. They don't like people putting out the truth. Think about what happened with the Hunter Biden laptop. They shut down the New York Post because they didn't like what was being said right before the election. They manipulated the election because they didn't. it didn't fit into their narrative. So Elon is saying, listen, doesn't matter if you hate someone, like someone, you don't like what they're saying, it's still free speech. Now, this is very interesting. Nick Short put this out on Twitter. He said the following, if the board of directors at Twitter reject the offer made by Elon Musk, then wouldn't the board be acting in direct opposition to the financial interests of their shareholders? Elon Musk responded and said, absolutely. It would be utterly indefensible not to put this offer to a shareholder vote. They own the company, not the board of directors. Elon Musk, the founder of SpaceX, indirectly responsible for the formation of PayPal. Not that we should hold that against him. And who could forget electric car manufacturer cum underrated hair metal band Tesla, saving the environment one depleted rare earth mineral mine at a time. But more than that, he's a demigod status uber troll whose mastery of the subtle art form of pissing off the entire leftosphere in a three word tweet matches and perhaps even eclipses even the almighty commander in Cheeto. And speaking of tweets. Tonight, the richest man in the world is hunting for more, mounting a hostile takeover bid for Twitter with a $43 billion cash offer. You made an offer to buy Twitter. <laughs> Why? How'd you know? <laughs> Oh, it's been the talk of the Twitterverse for a fact. Look, it's no secret Twitter is to free expression what the IRS is to free enterprise. But I have to confess, first skepticism, then incredulity, and finally an overwhelming urge to flee the internet in horror at the collective stupidity of so many who honestly expect a solitary thing about Twitter to change as a result of this announcement. Look. I'm not saying it's anything but the absolute apex of entertainment to watch the entire mainstream media and the soy pods in Silicon Valley spew fountains of blood from every orifice at the merest utterance of Elon's name. Really, it is, I assure you. I have an erection you can balance a dinner plate on just watching the Trump reply bots run screaming into the Beverly Hills. But folks, I know almost nothing about Elon Musk except he smoked pot on Rogan and his name sounds like a cologne. And even I can tell you this is likely more about the man's stock portfolio than any principled stand. For one thing, calling Elon Musk a free speech absolutist is charitable enough for Hunter Biden to use it as a tax shelter. I'm not saying he's pro-censorship. I'm willing to banny the benefit of the doubt, but the dude has taken righteous blows of federal cash from governments that absolutely are pro-censorship. For another, let's just say his personal politics are not what I'd describe as a blinding beacon of base. Look, I get that he has to sell those electric Tonka toys, but every time this goldfish face f 
starts rapping about environmental issues, he's Greta Thunberg in his toupee. And speaking of bad haircuts, Michael Malice can wax hyperbolic about how he's done more for conservatives than conservatives have. All he likes. Not even Mitt Romney supports a carbon tax, chief. Elon Musk does. And Mitt Mormo just voted to appoint a pedo apologist to the highest court in the land. Then again, his religion was co-founded by a dude literally named Brigham Young. Who's the next SCOTUS nominee, Phil McCracken or Dick Gozinia? Not that I don't sympathize with the hope of change. Over the past five years, as I predicted before it even began, Twitter had been wielding the band hammer like Will Smith wields an effeminate backhand. But well, if you got an axe to grind with Twitter, I'm on like my 15th big boy timeout for saying yucky things like Biden winning a higher percentage of the Detroit black vote than Obama, the first black president, is harder to understand than Lemmy on Novocaine. It's no fun, but then neither is Twitter since T-Rump got deplatformed for telling people to protest peacefully. And like the tangerine in chief, I got more suspension problems than Ted Kennedy's Oldsmobile. Which is why I'm telling you now and for all time, temper your expectations. Not because you shouldn't trust Elon Musk, although you absolutely shouldn't, but because of basic bitch reasons like, oh, the fact that at a mere 10% of shares, Elon Musk lacks the power to unilaterally alter Twitter policy on free speech or anything else. That would require a share of 51% to four, meaning Musk will have to persuade a room full of his fellow shareholders, most of whom have politics that make rage against the machine look like Merle Haggard, to break his way to the tune of 41% or so. The board he just refused to join and which just rejected his offer to sell outright, might I add. Because if Twitter's board had any more Saudis, that have to hold the next shareholder meeting in a field in Pennsylvania. What can I say? Democracy was a mistake, which gives it at least one thing in common with Twitter. So while I am indeed laughing at the Marxist meltdown from the very same fuckwits who've been perpetually shrieking the words, it's a private company for the past four years, I'm also aware it's Twitter. Could something improve? Could this be more than a mere shuffling of stock for a quick pump and dump payday? Sure. Elon Musk has certainly arisen from South African obscurity to the the wealthiest man in the world, he must have something resembling a clue, disproving in the process the age-old axiom that Africa doesn't produce great leaders. I mean, come on! Just look at Obama. So as you can hear, the rageaholic is enjoying the left meltdown. And it, he admits he really doesn't know a lot about Musk, but he's very skeptical that anything at Twitter will change. Very interesting. Especially since at the time of his recording, Twitter's board rejected Musk's offer, calling into question the board's ability to act in the interests of its shareholders, which was the very issue raised by X-22. But I can see how the rageaholic would be skeptical of Musk's motives, given a few of the additional clips he inserted at the end of his April 15th rant. I mean, my top recommendation, honestly, would be just to have a carbon tax. I'd like to hear Elon Musk's case for making carbon dioxide, CO2, an issue that warrants a so-called carbon tax. And I have to admit, I haven't heard the complete context in which that statement was made. Does Musk regard CO2 as a pollutant? Does he completely refute the scientific evidence in reality that CO2 has been called the gas of life? Or might his case be based on the fact that he builds electric cars like, you know, the Tesla? You know, in investing in the, the, the solar resource is the thing that, that's really going to preserve the, the long-term future. So maybe the answer to that question is yes. And what about all of the production pollution we've been hearing about with regard to the manufacture of electric cars, and in particular the storage batteries and electrical infrastructure required to keep them energized? 
Or maybe, just maybe, Musk really believes what he's saying. But when things like being okay with a carbon tax and accepting all of the state-funded business subsidies many of his ventures have received, people on the principled side of the freedom equation have reasonable grounds to be suspicious or skeptical. Should tax things that are most likely to be bad rather than, you know, like, like that's why we tax cigarettes and alcohol. Ouch. You know, that was a strange comment coming from a person who has openly acknowledged that government has a monopoly on violence. But it's also telling about his criteria for such taxes. Tax things that are bad, he's saying. So applying that to his earlier comment, he must believe that CO2, the gas of life, is bad and must be minimized. But then contrast that to his earlier comment about freedom of speech. He pretty much got it just right, to coin a phrase. So, if it is true that economic gain is not his primary interest, and that may be true, then Musk is basically saying that he has other motivations, and free speech may only be one among many. In a subsequent X-22 report posted this past Tuesday, he further considered that what Elon Musk was doing, in addition to the obvious, was exposing the people behind Twitter, perhaps for some kind of political or legal objectives? We can only speculate. But when it comes to politics, I've always considered Musk, you know, myself personally, to be a little naive and inexperienced in many of the fundamental philosophical senses. But I've generally seen him to be a positive force in the greater scheme of things, even when I occasionally cringe at some of his ideas. But I've learned, you know, that to expect people to be consistent in their ideologies and ways of thinking is unrealistic, since it takes most people the greater balance of their lifetimes to arrive at anything like that, if ever. Now, I'd like to thank listener Bill T. for bringing this next item to my attention from the anti-state, anti-war, pro-market Lou Rockwell site. This commentary by James Howard Kunstler entitled, You've Been Misinformed, and which refers to Elon Musk's Twitter offer, published on April 16th. And I quote, Half the nation doesn't believe anything that is told by those in authority, and the other half revels in its reckless abuse of authority. And so it is refreshing to see one Elon Musk act to seize control of this satanic vector of disgrace, Mr. Musk appears motivated to defeat the culture of lying by restoring open debate in the ubiquitous online public arena. It is a heroic deed, but you see, it's not merely Twitter's management or its biggest shareholders that Mr. Musk is messing with, but malign forces in the U.S. government, which have surreptitiously taken control of Twitter and other social media to work its will on events. If you don't know that Twitter... Facebook, and Google are proxies serving the U.S. intel community, then you have not been paying attention. Using Twitter to impose that culture of pervasive dishonesty in public chatter is what gave permission for all others to follow the script. Medicine has succeeded completely in disgracing and destroying itself by lying about everything connected to COVID-19, from its origins to the insanely outlawed treatments for it to the harmful actions of the vaccines, to the hidden data that might tell us the results of all that lying. Twitter set the tone for that with its censorship policies. Anyone who suggested that lockdowns, masking, remdesivir protocols, and vaccine mandates violated common decency was tossed out of the arena, often with added punishment of losing a career, a professional license, a livelihood, and having to endure the betrayal of colleagues 
cowed into silence. Twitter also enabled the suicide of higher education, which has succumbed to a plague of Jacobin craziness that would embarrass the inmates of an old-time locked ward. The failure of authority on campus is cosmic. Can you name a single college president who has raised a voice against such manifest idiocy as men competing in women's sports, the invention of ersatz fields of study, the resegregation of dormitories and graduation ceremonies, the shouting down of invited lecturers, the persecution of free-thinking faculty, the kangaroo courts for sex disputes, and a hundred other violations of intellect and decency? All this coerced insanity has been nurtured by social media sly mechanisms for bending narrative into propaganda. Their beloved algorithms all fine-tuned to destroy anything that touches on truth. The result is a country so marinated in falsehood that it can't construct a coherent consensus of reality and can't take coherent actions to avert its own collapse. Mighty forces are marshalling to prevent Elon Musk from buying up Twitter stock and taking the company private. BlackRock, Vanguard, the Prince Regent of Saudi Arabia are all principal stockholders in Twitter, with gazillions in capital to theoretically match and overcome Mr. Musk's moves. Meanwhile, the Tesla boss maintains a prankish self-confidence in this exploit, offering cryptically cosmic jibes to a news media that is openly vested in opposing him. You have to suppose that he's gamed out the gamble. He's looking like someone who has dealt out a hand of cards aiming to shoot the moon. The prospect of an open public arena for ideas is exhilarating all of a sudden, considering how the information stream got hijacked in service to the wicked. It's fun to see their torturous casuistry as they plead for content moderation, the phrase du jour for censorship, as if it were a good thing rather than the opposite of anything good. This feels like the beginning of something positive after a long siege of political degeneracy. Let the sun shine in to disinfect the arena. Cast the demons back into the darkness. You go, Elon. End quote. And as an example of Mr. Kunstler's having fun watching them be tortured as they plead for content moderation, I'm sure that many of you may have already heard this reaction to Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter on MSNBC. By the way, one of the epicenters of fake news media. Who were Trump voters? and are still Trump supporters, they go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous, you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts, and it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the issues, uh, Yamish is right. He's doing exactly what he said. It's right. In that single statement by MSNBC's Mika Brezinensky is an admission of monumental proportions from a fundamental ignorance to a sinister agenda. Something that is made up is simply not a fact by definition, and controlling the messaging rather than providing the news and the actual facts of any, in any kind of that messaging is just another word for propaganda, and it's an admission of spreading fake news. 
And even with a total immersion in fake news propaganda, it is never possible to control exactly what people think as long as those people are even semi-free to think. Just ask any citizen of a dictatorship. But to believe that it is her job and the fake news media's job to control what people think is certainly not my idea of anything that could be called the fourth estate. Up next, here's Alex Jones with some more insight on Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter and on Elon Musk himself. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another very special edition of The Alex Jones Show. I'm extremely honored to be here. Well, I told you a year ago that Elon Musk uh, was planning to become the big patriot leader. That's what I was told from a lot of really close sources to Musk, very close to him. And... Now we see that he is indeed doing that. A hostile takeover of Twitter for 50-plus billion dollars. He's attempting 40-plus billion dollars. He's already put billions in, but an additional 45. So if you add the other money you put in, it's 50-plus it's, it's billion. And they are battling tooth and nail. Oh, I thought it's a private company. If somebody buys it and wants free speech, can't they have it? Oh, no, now you can't. Elon Musk offers to buy 100% of Twitter to rescue it as a free speech platform. That is all unfolding right now as we speak here in Southeast Austin in the whole Rogan Jones Musk corridor. <laughs> what an incredible time to be alive. I want to read to you from an Infowars.com story that has Elon Musk's statement. Here's some of the headlines Elon Musk announces 43 billion hostile takeover of Twitter. Elon Musk offers to buy 100% of Twitter to rescue it as a free speech platform. Will prominent banned public figures return if Elon Musk buys Twitter is what everybody's been asking. Trump, Jones, people like that. Leftists absolutely lose it over Elon Musk's hostile takeover bid of Twitter. Elon Musk offers to buy 100% of Twitter to rescue it as a free speech platform. Elon Musk has made a, quote, best and final offer Close quote, to purchase 100% of Twitter in order to rescue the social media giant as a platform of free speech around the globe. In an updated filing, Musk has offered to purchase Twitter for $54.20, $54.20 per share in cash, an amount that puts the value of the company at around $43 billion. Musk asserted in the filing that if the offer was declined, he would reconsider my position as a shareholder, meaning he would dispose of his stake. In a letter sent to chairman of the board, Brett Taylor, must made it clear that his intention was to rescue Twitter and return it to its original role as being an uncensored free speech platform in the world. Here's the letter in full. Before I read the letter, I just want to be clear. Some folks will say, I don't care about Twitter. I don't care about Facebook. I don't care about Instagram. I don't care about it. Leave them alone. They're horrible, they're censoring, they're evil. But you have to understand, if big money and private individuals want to start being pro-free speech, that like dominoes will signify the collapse of this unbelievable tyranny that's already gotten Stalin-esque or Maoist in its level. I mean, it's already coordinated with these big companies, censoring medical news, censoring national news, censoring medical uh, decisions people are allowed to make uh, and reports and financial information and military information. I mean, it's just gotten unbelievable. And so there's got to be some point when we hit bottom and communist China is not 
a blueprint of how we should be living. It's not an owner's manual. It's the example of what not to be. So here is his short letter in full. Brett Taylor, chairman of the board. I invested in Twitter as I believe it is potential to be a platform for free speech around the globe. And I believe free speech is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. However, since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. As a result, I am offering to buy 100% of Twitter for $54.20 per share in cash, a 54% premium over the day before I began investing in Twitter, and a 38% premium over the day before my investment was publicly announced. My offer is my best and final offer, and it is not acceptable. I will need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it, Elon Musk. So he's already massively increased the value, almost 30% just since he started buying into it a week ago. And he's saying, it's going to go up 10x if you just let me take control of it and stop censoring everybody. And their response is, no, hell no. We want to censor everybody because George Soros is also a big shareholder. According to Vital Knowledge, Adam Christofoli must offer is too low for shareholders for the board to accept. However, the offer is likely to send the blue checkmark journalist and far left activists into hysterics, given they have largely turned Twitter into a platform that buries and ring fences free speech rather than facilitates it. And it goes on from there. It's already up more than 10%. Now it's up 18% on that just since last night's announcement. So, very, very exciting things taking place. And a lot of people on Twitter, hundreds of thousands of retweets, have been uh, talking about the fact that uh, can Elon hurry up and unban Alex Jones? Nature needs healing, says Blair White. Uh, if Elon brings Trump and Alex Jones back, his investment in Twitter might be 10x overnight. Jordan Shashatel. Some of the other ones, uh, Brett Sampson, do you think Elon Musk should bring Donald Trump, Louis Furcon, Alex Jones back to Twitter in order to begin destroying free speech? So I'm very honored to be at the very center of these international national discussions. There's nothing that's more important in a democracy than a well-informed electorate. I just want to make sure you know you're still on this side of the door. When there's no information or much worse, wrong information, it can lead to calamitous decisions and clobber any attempts at vigorous debate. That's why I produce the news. We're all grateful to you. You're spinning out of control. No, I'm not. You're terrified you're going to lose your audience and you'd do anything to get them back. You're one pitch meeting away from doing the news in 3D. This isn't non-profit theater. It's advertiser-supported television. You know that, right? I'd rather do a good show for 100 people than a bad one for a million, if that's what you're saying. What is it you're talking to me about right now? I've come here to produce a news broadcast that more closely resembles the one we did before you got popular by not bothering anyone. Leno. I think Jay and I would rather be employed if it's all the same to you. It's not all the same to me, you punk. I've come here to take your IQ and your talent and put it to some patriotic use. 
And where does it say that a good news show can't be popular? Nielsen ratings. We're going to do a good news show and make it popular at the same time. That is impossible. Between your brains, charm, looks and affability, and my... Refusal to live in reality. It's impossible, man. Our social scientists have concluded that the country is more polarized than at any time since the Civil War. The Civil War. Yes, people choose the news they want now, but we can overcome that. People choose the facts they want now. So what you've just described is impossible. Only if you think an overwhelming majority of Americans are preternaturally stupid. I do. I don't. And if you let me, I can prove it. You know what you left out of your sermon? That America is the only country on the planet that since its birth has said over and over and over that we can do better. It's part of our DNA. People will want the news if you give it to them with integrity. Not everybody, not even a lot of people. Five percent. And 5% more of anything is what makes the difference in this country. So we can do better. <sighs> what? I'm thinking. Yeah, that whole speech did nothing for me. <laughs> Sounds a bit like the board members of Twitter. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. I just wanted to mention quickly the other side of the media control coin, how the Canadian government is forcing Facebook to subsidize its propagandists. Saw this commentary in the April 16 National Post by Bill Gruskin under the headline, Great News for Canadian Journalism. Congratulations, Canadian journalists, he writes. Parliament appears likely to pass a measure that would extract millions of dollars from Facebook and Google and send that money to news organizations. If you believe, as I do, that a healthy press is vital to democracy, this probably seems like a great idea. Wow. Think about what this guy is saying. That the state forcing others to pay money to news organizations represents a healthy press vital to democracy. And by the way, a lot of these news organizations are already state-funded. <laughs> it's an immoral and unconscionable idea, and it's not a great one. He then cites the Australian model of media extortion, which is called the News Media Bargaining Code, as the one that Canada plans to follow. Quote, Many local news organizations are in trouble these days as print ads have dried up and digital revenue hasn't filled the gap. It's understandable why journalists see Facebook and Google as a treasure chest to help overcome that shortfall. But if Canada's going to mimic Australia's system, legislators ought to ensure that we can see who's getting paid and who isn't, and whether those funds are really helping to give the public the journalism it needs, end quote. <laughs> Unbelievable. Consider the coercive and immoral language being used to describe this scheme of outright theft and robbery. A measure that would extract millions. You know, it's understandable why journalists see Facebook as a treasure chest. <laughs> yeah, because they're a bunch of pirates whose only justification for their actions is their own well-earned poverty. And they actually use that to justify stealing the wealth of their target. And I'm no fan of Facebook or Google, and you know that. But if the government thinks it can force fascist partnerships like this on them then you and I are not far behind. On this side of our upcoming bumper is once again an item from the X-22 report, this time from April 16, with guest reporter Jordan Sather. And on the return side of the bumper, Press for Truth's Dan Dix says we should privatize everything. 
So, I mean, you're talking about Twitter, YouTube. I mean, right now we have Elon Musk, and I just want to touch upon this, where, you know, he purchased like 9% of the stock, and now he made an offer to buy Twitter. I I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, do you think this is part of an overall plan, or he just came out of nowhere and said, you know what, I just want Twitter? Oh, man. (laughs) I, uh... A few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, I wasn't the biggest fan of Elon, but he's kind of grown on me. Not going to lie. He is kind of growing on me, especially with these Twitter moves. Do I think there might be a plan behind this? I mean, the the conspiracy theory within us, the conspiracy theorist is definitely thinking about it. What What I find just incredibly curious and what I think might even be possible is that During the Obama administration, Elon Musk, SpaceX was getting billions and billions of dollars of subsidies, Mm -hmm. billions of dollars. Elon Musk looked like he was a deep state puppet back then. Yes. But with, of course, Trump getting into office, that changes the game. It looks like Trump was able to cut the puppet strings of a a few people. And during Trump's tenure as president, Elon Musk became the Department of Defense's number one contractor. Elon Musk can thank his $250 billion net worth to, in large part, President Trump. Now, you know, of course, Trump got censored off of Twitter about a year and a half ago. Elon Musk is now making a move to uh, take over Twitter. So I'm just speculating we're we're speculating of course but could there have been a deal made where trump said elon i'll get you a lot of money i'll get you a lot of contracts but what you have to do for us for me for us is work to you know put that put some of that money to use and go after big tech with it go after taking over twitter i don't know but regardless of how this happened looks like it's very well happening twitter might get taken over by elon musk and Then we can theorize what might happen in the future. Elon Musk says he's a free speech absolutist. So he says, calls himself. Let's see if he really means that. And maybe Elon Musk is taking over Twitter to do some sort of controlled implosion with it. I can't help but think of Donald Trump's class action lawsuit that he still has going against big tech, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter so could Elon Musk getting into the control of Twitter, he then agree to some sort of settlement deal with Trump and his class action? Could this then deflate Twitter to a point where Twitter gets sold to Trump's digital acquisition company or there is maybe some sort of merger between Trump and, between Twitter and Truth Social? Truth Social is then able to acquire a lot of the infrastructure and the the fancy development and code that twitter has who knows again this is all theory but this is this is a huge development it really is and i think elon musk like i said i'm i'm warming up to him and what he's doing i think this is great This is Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth. As I'm sure you've probably heard already by now, Elon Musk has just offered to purchase Twitter, 100% of it. This is a big deal. We're talking about $43 billion. Um, Here it is. He says on Twitter, 
I made an offer. He also says he's going to endeavor to keep as many shareholders in privatized Twitter as allowed by law. And interestingly enough, he has this uh, pinned tweet here. And this is actually a response to this tweet. I don't believe that the proposed offer by Elon Musk, uh, 5420, it's so funny that 420 is in there, 5420, 5420, uh, comes close to the intrinsic value of Twitter given its growth prospects. Being one of the largest and long-term shareholders of Twitter, Kingdom KHC and I reject this offer, to which he says, hmm, interesting. Uh, just two questions, if I may. How much of Twitter does the kingdom own directly and indirectly? And what are the kingdom's views on journalistic freedom of speech? <laughs> Boom, talk about throwing the ball right back in their court. I thought that was a pretty good uh, response. It should be interesting to see how they're gonna respond to that. Um, but you guys may recall uh, when all this started uh, a little over a week ago, I think it was 10 days ago now, I put out uh, this video titled, Elon Musk now owns largest stake in Twitter with 9.2%. What's next for free speech online? And uh, it says here in this video, Dan Dix of Press for Truth looks into Musk's apparent intentions with becoming the largest Twitter shareholder while also explaining the new controversial B Bill C-11, which is really just Bill C-10 rebranded. But in that video, I was suggesting that I didn't think that he was getting into this for monetary gain or, or just to, to make a point. Um, if he was, it would be a couple of percents. I don't, I don't think, you know, by him take, becoming the largest shareholder, it was clear to me that he had intentions to, you know, fundamentally change the way the company operates. And now it looks like he's going to be doing just that making it private. We're going to talk about the need to privatize everything. Um, he's going to make it, he wants to make it open source, put the algorithm on GitHub so everybody can look through the source code, making it completely transparent and, uh, and making it private, um, which would, uh, do better in the long run for freedom of speech. So let's take a look at the SCC um, filing. Here it is, and if you scroll down, you can see his letter to uh, Brett Taylor, the chairman of the board. It says, Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. As a result, I'm offering to buy 100% of Twitter. It goes on to say here, as I indicated this weekend, I believe that the company should be private and go through the changes that need to be made. Uh, in order for it to do that. Uh, after the past several days of thinking this over, I've decided I want to acquire the company and take it private. I'm going to send you an offer letter tonight. It will be public in the morning. Are you available to chat? And just like that, 54, 20, 43 million dollar, a billion rather, a deal has been offered for this man to uh, purchase Twitter. Now, as I said, I, I don't think this was uh, uh, for monetary gain. Um, this is to fundamentally change um, the free flow of uh, free speech on, as he called it, uh, society's public square. Now, I don't have any faith in these billionaire oligarchs or that he's going to be some sort of uh, you know, savior of, of free speech. Uh, but it's interesting to pay attention, uh, attention to nonetheless. And I wanted to point you to this article too. Uh, buying Twitter is not a way to make money. 
he recently said in a, uh, a TED Talk interview. Uh, speaking for the first time since news broke of his attempts to buy all of Twitter, uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said his offer had been made for the public good. Musk emph emphasized that he was motivated by the public interest value of the platform. Twitter's become, become kind of a de facto town square, so it's just really important that people have both the reality and the perception that they're able to speak freely within the bounds of the law, Musk said. Um, he was speaking at a, a TED Talk in Vancouver um, earlier this morning. To protect the venue, Musk went on to say he believes Twitter should be open source algorithm. In order to build trust and ensure availability, uh, the code should be on GitHub so people can look through it, uh, he said. And um, But I gotta say, his ideas of privatization, I am uh, in fully agreement with. In fact, I think you should take it a step further and privatize absolutely everything. Privatize the insurance companies, privatize the post office, privatize the roads. And you could even take it as far as privatize the oceans and outer space for that matter. Um, there's a great presentation I'd like to point you in the direction of by Walter Block. It's uh, called The Case to Privatize Everything. And um, he, he outlines why uh, free markets are far more preferable to government monopolization and for example, in the case of uh, privatizing the roads, everything would be much more safe, uh, much more efficient. And uh, he paints a, a clear case for that. Um, and uh, I would have to agree with him. And I, I hope those ideas would make its way to uh, Elon Musk, who seems to understand that government has a monopoly on violence and that free speech uh, need, needs to be upheld in uh, this system that we have that is so-called <laughs> democracy. Wow, that brings back memories. <laughs> I recall when Dr. Walter Block was a senior economist at the Fraser Institute, and he was a regular speaker at the Freedom Party of Ontario events and wrote several articles and essays for some of Freedom Party's newsletters. That was back in the 1990s or so. And you can still find most of those appearances by visiting the Freedom Party of Ontario's website at freedomparty.on.ca and just search for Walter Block in the archive. I tried it the other day and was reminded of Dr. Block's presentation to Freedom Party called Reconciliation, Economics and the Environment. And right now I'm actually looking at part three of his multi-part essay that appeared in Consent Number 15. A couple of the bylines read, Why is it that the buffalo was on the verge of extinction and the cow never was? The cow was always owned privately. The buffalo was always unowned. While another reads, If it moves, privatize it. If it doesn't move, privatize it. Privatize everything. That's our motto here. <laughs> you know, it's ironic that in my younger days, I actually believed that the broadcast radio industry might be a good place to invest for a future career. But I'd never heard of the CRTC. And the minute I did, that dream ended. I always assumed that radio stations, with the exception of the CBC, of course, were private. And technically and legally, they are, since private interests own them. But in reality, they are not, because those private interests do not control them. The government does. And that is not ownership. That situation, ladies and gentlemen, is known as fascism, plain and simple. It's a public-private partnership forced upon the private partner who has no gun by the public partner, which is the state, and which has all the guns. You know, a real partnership, right? So here I am in 2022, this time as a host of a truly private platform, 
Now, once again, looking down the barrel of the CRTC or some other quote-unquote independent public enforcer the government might create to end that private status. So whether they come after us on the grounds that we are a channel, a platform, a broadcaster, or whatever term they choose to use, no matter how inaccurate, I'd like to tell you that I couldn't care less. But that isn't true. I do care, and I am concerned, which is just one of the reasons that I also care that you visit our channel, website, page, platform, station, frequency, location, or whatever, by joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. The propaganda ministry wants a rundown on the radio broadcast. First, the children's chorus singing, We Salute You, Gentle Fuhrer. Then the loyalty pledge to the Fuhrer, our warrior leader. Followed by a report of the glorious victories on the Eastern Front. How long do you think that should be? It can be as long or as short as we need. We're making it up anyway. (laughs) 